So one of the things I wanted to kind of, we're going to talk a little bit, I mentioned on Friday, we're going to talk about um, through a passage and we're going to talk about two different doctrinal issues, one being soteriology and the other one being ecclesiology. And so before I do that, let me kind of explain. There's two different ways of going throughout scripture and forming theology, okay? Um, there's one form called biblical theology. That's what we're doing. We've been going book by book, looking through Galatians, looking into Ephesians, and seeing how these theological points are made known in scripture. And um, whether that be atonement, justification, all the different ones that we've looked at. There's another one called systematic theology. And uh, to give you kind of a picture of systematic theology, this is just one volume of systematic theology. Systematic theology goes through and takes a look at each one of these type items and goes into all the details, gives you all the verses, and it is extremely um, brainy, extremely heady. And, um, and so that's another way of going through it. I, and there may be a point in time, because I would love to teach theology in a systematic way. We may end up doing that sometime. Um, but I wanted to give the, just those definitions. The way we're doing it is really biblical theology. It's going through verse by verse and kind of looking at how that applies to a specific um, theological term. And then there's systematic theology. So this morning we are in Ephesians 3. Once again, Ephesians 3, starting in verse 1. And we'll just go to verse 6. For this reason, I, Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So again, I kind of mentioned it on Friday, but there's these two forms of theology, two, two uh, uh, views that are in here, and one is soteriology. Soteriology is the doctrine of salvation. It's salvation. It's what happens between man and God. It's that, that you could say, vertical act between man and God. We often make it an individualistic thing, but that's it's this idea of man to God. And then ecclesiology is what happens ver horizontally. It's the doctrine of the church. It's the doctrine of the church's body of Christ and how that takes place. And so... You know, we, we so often in our culture, and we've talked about this before, tend to like labels. We label the ins and outs. We label the in-group, the out-group. We label you as Republican or Democrat, as black or white, or even in the church, we label as saved and not saved, right? And, and when we do that, we are looking at this kind of idea of soteriology of salvation when we say whether you're saved or not saved. Have you had a moment 
where you accepted Christ, asked him into your life, um, gave him lordship, you know, we use different terms for it. But in the church, we have to remember that there's also the idea of ecclesiology, the study of the church, along with the study of salvation. You see, the problem is that when we focus on what salvation is only, and we don't look at what we're called to be, that's that's the issue. We, well, good morning, Carrie. When we look at what salvation is only and don't look at what the church is called to be, then we miss a huge part of this. We, we get the vertical, but we miss the horizontal, what the church is supposed to be man to man, human to human, what we are called to be in our society and in our culture. And so when we read through Ephesians, only looking through the lens of what it means for salvation, then we're not getting a healthy ecclesiology, a healthy look at what the church is. And we maybe miss what Paul is speaking to us. So Paul's emphasis has been on the divisions of the Jew and Gentile, and these divisions come really in two ways, historical and theological. And historically, divisions were imposed by um, circumcised Jews worshiping the one true God in Jerusalem. That was the main division. And everyone else in the rest of the world was seen as without God. That was kind of the Jewish way of looking at things. And there were bigger divides in there historically when it came to the Gentiles. Um, we could go into some historical lessons on why Iraq and Iran still don't get along to this day. It goes all the way back to the days of Daniel with the Medes and the Persians. One of them is more Medes of descendant, and another one was more Persian in descendant. And, and that's how the divisions between Iraq and Iran and the major fight. That's why sometimes we in, in America don't understand the wars that are going on in the Middle East real well because these are not just, these are Hatfield and McCoy type things that have been going on for generation upon generation upon generation. And just because you're Iraqi or Iranian, this is why they, they dislike each other, right? Good morning, Pat. And so, these are some of the historical, those divisions that are going on in this day that Paul is writing to. And if Christ can break down those heavenly, is kind of his point, if Christ can break down those heavily fortified walls that are placed up due to your background, due to Jew to Gentile and, and Greek to Persian to Medes to Egyptian and all of these long-seated, held hatred for each other, that if Christ could break those down, then certainly all others could be redeemed and resolved within a healthy view of what Christ calls the church to be. Not only is there that historical divide, but Paul talks about kind of a theological divide. Very simply, you know, it starts out in, in chapter 2 that Jews or Gentiles are without hope. The Gentiles are without God, that they're wasting away, right? It says that in verse 1 through 3, you're dead in your trespasses to sin. You walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. There is no hope. 
as the Gentiles, they were without hope because they're without God. The Jews, though, were trapped by the flesh. They were trapped by the sinful desires all the while that these got in the way of their call to do what God wanted them to do, and that was to live a holy life, to seek holiness. And it got in their way the divisions that they began to create because of the circumcised and uncircumcised and whether you celebrated this feast and festival or you didn't celebrate this feast and festival that those things those being trapped by the flesh got in the way of their call to holiness of obedience our sins do that to us too don't they we're just like the jews in that when we allow our fleshly desires, we talked this Sunday about terrors. Um, we're going to be talking about anxieties and bad moods and hidden sins. But all those things are matters of the flesh that get in our way of the call to holiness, to love God, love others. So there's some things that Paul's talking about here, and one is this distinction between Jew and Gentile. We've talked about that quite a bit, but it was more than just this racial tension. Sometimes it's, it's real easy for us to put it into a racial term, but it was more than that. It was deeper seated than that. It was, it was a pride and arrogance thing that the Jews considered themselves as worshiping the one true God only, and everybody else didn't have a chance, that they were the chosen favorite child how's that right um you know they thought they were the favorite child good morning ray another distinction in there is that the idea that salvation cannot be divided into this whole vertical and horizontal we were talking about that salvation is more than just an individual thing that happens between us and god it is also a thing that happens corporately within the body of christ and that's the church. And so we can't just have this horizontal. God is calling us to this idea that it's all or nothing. We seek salvation for people so that they join the body of Christ. So that they become a part of the fellowship of the believers, not just to be individual. That's why I'm, I'm, I sometimes have difficulty when we see the church as a whole, the body of Christ has not stepped up, and so you see parachurch organizations, non-religious organizations that have to rise up to meet the needs of the poor and the impoverished and so many things around us because the church has decided they're not going to do it or not able to do it. Or when people come along who don't act like us, we say, well, you know what, you need to go elsewhere. And, uh, you know, go, go work for the Salvation Army. Go do this. Go do that. Instead of realizing that the church is called to do it all, to also evangelize, to use people like we're doing right now to feed the kids in, in our county. Um, you know, we're maybe not called to do it all the time because the Mana Pantry does it. And we're not going to repeat what the Mana Pantry does right here in our own city. But in small ways, like helping out the students, we're going to do that. You know, this idea of the salvation and, well, the Jews, I guess you could say, the Jews saw themselves as the people of God, right? They, they were identified. They had this pride thing going that they were the children of God. They were the 
only ones in a relationship with the one true God. They were the ones who could connect to the promise. And so they had a hard time understanding why in Christ all could come to him. That in Christ all could be saved and be made a part of the horizontal body of Christ. That in Christ the relationship with God is that inward change, not just a, dare I say, denominational, right? A racial thing, the Jews. It, it wasn't just a small group of people who were able to understand the mystery of God and come to him and be drawn to him, but they began to see the Gentiles all being drawn as well and being told again that they are no longer Jew or Gentile, but a part of this overall body of Christ. Ecclesiology is not, the, the doctrine of the church is not a secondary issue. We, we so often in the church teach soteriology, the salvation, doctrine of salvation, man to God, and we teach it as an individualistic thing. It's all about my relationship with God, my personal, right? You've heard that said, my personal relationship with God. And yes, that is a part of it. But we're again made different, transformed inwardly so that we're different outwardly. We saw this Sunday what it's like to have people come back after a hiatus and just see the longing for the body of the Christ, uh, body uh, of the church, body of Christ coming together, worshiping again. There's something beautiful about that. There's something we miss in that. You know, this whole walk with Christ is not just a personal thing. I, 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 you know, you've probably heard that before, too, where somebody says, well, I don't really care for the church, but uh, I'm okay with Jesus. And I've got a personal relationship. And that's all that matters. I don't go to church. I don't attend church. I don't participate in the means of the church. You know, baptism and communion and membership, all those things that kind of connect us into the body of Christ because... Well, I'm okay with just Jesus. But there's a thing about this, what we're doing even on these calls of just learning and growing and studying God together. You know, the Jewish nation would have never looked at it as an individualistic thing. They would have never seen it all about a personal relationship because in their culture, everything was about the greater individuals, right? The greater community. Um, I, that's, that's stuff that it's hard for us to understand. And I didn't pull up the verse, but the example that's kind of coming to my mind right now was the sin of Achan. If you remember the sin of Achan, they were, the Israelites were getting ready to go to war again. They had won a, a battle soundly and they went to go again. But here someone, Achan, had stolen some goods the last time instead of everything being dedicated to God like he had called for because it was the first big victory and everything was supposed to be dedicated to God. And, and instead, Achan stole some goods. And the entire Israelite nation suffered for it. And we look at that and we go, wow, that doesn't make sense. Why would an entire people su suffer for one person's sin? But this is that idea yeah, we grow off each other, Ray. That's that's a great way to put it, too. It's, it's this idea of the 
It's not just a personal relationship with God. So maybe another way to put it, you know, we read the verse, especially with weddings about the three chord, um, three chord strand is, you know, harder to break. And when you think about when I'm praying and I'm in relationship with God, that's one strand and the devil can come at it pretty easily with a pair of scissors, right? But when you are being lifted up and you are a part of a greater good and a part of a, a greater body of Christ who are lifting each other up, growing with each other, then you are going together in strands, more than even just three, with God and growing and working together. That's this idea of soteriology, salvation, and ecclesiology. The church has to be one and the same. They have to work together not separate. God's plan was not just an individual plan. Yes, he would have died for just you, okay? We've preached that quite a lot. Um, we believe it. He would have died for you and you alone, but he didn't. He died for all humankind. He died for everybody, even those who told him, well, pound sand or whatever, whatever um, negative phrase you want to use, right? Without swearing, we wouldn't do that. But for even those who said, God, I don't want anything to do with you. He died for them too. He died for all. God's plan was to save a new people. No longer Jew or Gentile. A new body. Not just a four-wall building. Believers all over the world. The body of Christ. And we lose... Uh, the, the body of Christ loses its power when we believe salvation is nothing but individualistic. We lose the strands if we think that not, it, my relationship with God individually is so much greater. Yeah, um, got another thought there, but I'll hold that one. There's ramifications if you think about this whole kind of idea between the two. You know, first, the central role when the horizontal and vertical come together the central role is the Holy Spirit who empowers the new community. He's the one who makes daily life in the church possible. The presence of the Holy Spirit is the one that brings unity, and we are to be led by the Spirit together. But when we seek to do it individualistically, I think we sometimes lose some of that power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's still in us. The Holy Spirit still has us. Doesn't mean you're not saved if you don't go to a church. Okay, that's not the idea. But it's this idea that we grow stronger. We understand the power better. It's the uh, mentor-mentoree type idea. You know, you don't, you don't go into battle. Let's say the old school battle where you come at it with a shield and a uh, spear um, and the Romans were amazing at that. If you've ever seen examples of their turtle formations and all kinds of things, they would group together and put shields all around, everybody defending each other and themselves. And it was a group effort. You didn't just go into battle by yourself. A good example of that is when Paul uses the, um, the shield and, and you know, gives the, uh, the example of a soldier and shares all the, you know, the helmet of salvation, all those different things. And notice that in the Roman idea, that breastplate, it, it didn't have any protection on your back because the idea was that you were surrounding each other and helping each other. 
So you didn't have to worry about your back. So we grow together and the Holy Spirit grows us together in unity, which is one of the marks of the church, right? The second thing and second ramification is the blending of that horizontal and vertical. So the the vertical being the salvation, um, our salvation, man to God, and then this idea of the church working together and what the body of Christ is called to be, to be the horizontal. When those things are blending together, it helps us to interpret some of the statements of Paul and some of the works of, throughout Scripture. It helps us interpret these ideas of works because we no longer see it as an individualistic. When we, when we see works as individualistics, works are nothing more than moral deeds. We've talked about the whole salvation by faith and salvation by works before, but again, this just kind of points to the importance of it. Because individualistically, when we see salvation as nothing but a personal salvation between me and God, and it's all on my own, then works are all me trying to prove that I'm saved. It's my works trying to earn my individual salvation. Except when God changes me inwardly and then I, I connect from that salvation moment into this idea of working together through the body of Christ, then works becomes this idea, it's just being the light in a dark world. It's this idea of showing the fruits of my salvation because I want to show God how much I love him. And I do things to love on others. I do things just naturally because I'm changed inwardly to be different outwardly and corporately. We are called to be the new holy people bonded together to do good works for God's glory. And the third kind of thing with this is the church as a corporate body helps us to learn to forgive. You know, Paul talks quite a lot, and even Jesus talks a lot about forgiving one another and the importance of forgiveness as a healthy individual. You know, a unified, diverse church that learns to forgive, that learns reconciliation, doesn't hold it against people because of their past. You know, one of the hardest things to do is to be a part of a church where people have grown up in the church. Why? Because when those unruly teenagers, those that walked away from the church for a while come back, there's a lot of, well, I'm not going to serve in a ministry under him. I'm not going to serve in a ministry with her. I won't be in a Bible study with them because, well, you know what they used to be like. Sometimes we can be very judgmental in that. And it's because in that individualism, we see ourselves as perfect and we forget that growing in unity. We forget what God has done. We forget the grace that he has lavished on us, right? We begin to look down at others. And yet we are called to we're called to embrace, not just personally. We are called to embrace it corporately, which makes us have to forgive. It makes us have to look past faults. It makes us have to assume positive intent of those around us. 
God is calling us as believers to be different in this world. We work and we grow together for His glory. We forgive because He forgave us individually and corporately. We understand the grace of God because, well, the grace He extended to me is different than the grace He extended to you. What He's brought me out of is different than what He's brought you out of and brought you through. And we grow and we learn together when we confess those things, when we testify to those things, when we look at Scripture together and we begin to form healthy views of what God has done in our lives through the justification and atonement and adoption and all those things. And it leads us more and more into this healthy work of salvation and growing as a body of Christ in uniquenesses and personalities and talents and traits and we begin to see the beauty of it it's kind of like maybe maybe i'll leave with this last example as i'm thinking about it when you go into the national art museum in washington dc or any of them you go into a, a, a the museum and they have different wings different wings for different styles of art and they're all art right you have the realistic art where you see portraits and paintings portraits and paintings and individuals and and then you see landscape artwork and then you see well you see uh you know uh, things like pablo picasso right that don't really look like art for some people you know, there's all these different things that are in there. I remember in uh, one museum I went to, they had furniture screwed and nailed all over the wall and, and uh, voice boxes on them. And some of them went, hello, you know, let me out. I mean, it was just crazy. And it's coming from all around the room. And that was art. They're different expressions of personality. We accept it in art world, but we don't accept it in the church. We don't sometimes, and our church is not this way, but we don't accept people who like to worship through raising their hands or those that are musicians that like to worship banging on a drum or playing an electric guitar because it's not a piano on an organ. And we make worship about my likes and preferences versus growing and learning what the body of Christ does, which allows us to forgive ourselves for our, our lack of humility and begin to see what God calls us to do in the body of Christ. So God, we love you. We praise you. Lord, as we, we seek to learn more and more about you, may you just continue to Make this mystery known. Now that we are called first to this salvation between us and you. And then to grow together in the body of Christ. In spite of our uniquenesses. Because God in you there is no race. It's the human race. There's no specific rank. We are all worthy. In fact, you have called us to a rankless life. The, the 
servant is the first. Those who want to be first must be the servant of all. It's a call to outserve one another, not be selfish. Not to be the most sought after, looked after, smartest person in the room, but the most humble, the most willing to teach others, to grow, to learn, to not have it all together. So God, you, I just ask that you would seek to help us all see that more and more. That we are called in humility to come before you. To hum, hum, humbly pray for ourselves and to pray for those around us. Lord, right now, even as we're recording this, there's this, there's things going on in our nation. There are people that need to be heard. There are deep-seated roots of bitterness and forgiveness that need to take place, God. Lord, we all need to be a part of that as believers. So God, we just ask that you would bring peace in these situations. That you would bring your love, your compassion for those that are different than us. Lord, may we be a people about reconciliation, about redemption, and about grace. Because that's what you did for us. May we not just fall to this idea that it's just a, it's all just personal, individualistic. As long as I'm good with God, that's all that matters. But Lord, may we understand that as we're called to be in that relationship with you so that, so that we can go out in the body of Christ and be the hands of and feet, and mouth, and intellects, heads, and, and, and every little function of the body. We are called to work together. So God, give us wisdom and courage and compassion in the days that we are in to seek you and to reach out to those who need to understand the grace and love that you give to them. God, we love you, we praise you, we give you all the glory. In your son's name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you, everybody. Hope you have a great rest of the day, and uh, we will talk to you again soon.